So Josh is this really smart guy I know. I've known him for maybe 10 years, and he's a, he's a brilliant technologist. A few years ago, he brought me in to work on a consulting gig with him. It was a company that had years and years of content around what they did, and it really needed to be straightened out, their messaging and their marketing and the whole thing, right? And I loved working with him, but the company took almost none of our advice. Instead, they went with a set of bad tactical ideas from the director of sales. And last I heard, they weren't doing very well. In a nutshell, this is the kind of painful experience that led to the creation of How to Succeed in Evil in the first place. You do your best to help a client, they don't listen, and horrible things happen to them. It's really a frustrating experience, one that I thought was pretty unique to me, or maybe advertising, but as it turns out, everybody in every industry or every role in society has had this experience. It's not exactly primal, but it's pretty damn fundamental. You try your best to do something really good, and it goes really bad. But I suppose every pearl starts with an irritation. The reason I thought it would be great to talk to Josh about how to succeed in evil is that he hasn't really consumed it yet. And he's not a huge geek in terms of geek culture and fandom. But he's a huge fan of the ideas that drive it. And he is a sharp, independent thinker. So here's my conversation with Josh Oakhurst about evil. You're listening to the Patrick E. McLean Podcast. This episode, Talking Evil with Josh Oakhurst. A bunch of people is always, always smarter than one person, right? So I want to make sure that I, that I squeeze this genius premise for all it's worth. So... What I thought would be cool is if, because you know what the premise is, it's a consultant for supervillains. Yeah. It's how to succeed in evil. So you've got a lot of stuff. You've got, you know, you've got, you're sending up superhero stuff and yeah. which, the consulting which is, industry, hopefully. <laughs> and the consulting industry, which we both know. Yes. Yeah. Much so the consulting industry. Um, All the charlatans. Billable, billable hour charlatans. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was just like, if, even if you just have that set up, like, what is the thing? Like, what do you think of? What's the thing? And we can talk about evil too. That'll, that'll, that'll kick everything off. Yeah. But, uh, we like, what's the thing that you want out of that premise? You, you see the title. What is it? You know, what do you think of? Um, well, first of all, I wanted to say too, I also heard your interview with Andy. What's his face? The guy Weird. wrote the Martian. Yeah. yeah. So that was actually like, I have an old school, like iPod nano. And for like a year, I had like no podcasts on there. And that was like, it was somehow like in the music folder. And so like, <laughs> I would be like, I'd have my music on random. And then all of a sudden, like it's Patrick in. And I'm like, oh, that's the fifth time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I listen to it a lot. Um, so, and, and well, what, what do I want out of that shit? Well, no, when you hear that, like, what, like, what do you oh, think? Yeah. What would you, what would you do with that? A lot of people, <clears throat> most people are, most people are somebody else. Mm. I think it was Dorothy Parker who said that, um, you know, that, that lots of people, you know, they're not really thinking about a lot of things. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just, they're, they have very similar opinions to different people. So I think your opinions on the superhero genre right now, like, have you seen all the Marvel movies? I, I would peg you as a guy who maybe hasn't seen a bunch of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I stay away from the superhero shit, man. Like Game Perfect. of Thrones. Game of Thrones was like as as much as like fantasy shit as I allowed. Like, and for a long time, I was just like anti swords. I was like fuck swords, not into swords. And the Marvel, sh the Marvel shit to me is like it's so over the top, and it's like it's so patronizing. It's so like it's just. I know people really like the comic books, but aside from it being like formulaic sort of like business, like I, I like as a, as a consumer of shit, like I just, I just don't want to be hit over the head with like, there's good and there's evil. And then there's the super duper guy who's like scary and he's killing the world. Like we all super, we saw Superman. Like I was like, had that once. That's fine. You know, like mm -hmm. he's got the evil death ray and all of humanity, you know, like, and I got enough of that. I'm not even on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. Like, so I like, I kind of know like what the hammer, the guy who like killed half the population on some, re I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like who watches this shit? It's fucking dumb. <laughs> but what I'll tell you, so, it, we, you should probably tell the story of how you just, how you just 
you were on the, the tech wagon and then you were just like, I'm off the tech wagon. Like why you're not on Facebook and Twitter and the, just, just your, your evolution. Like, well, it's because like lots of tech is evil. <laughs> okay. And, and like, so like I say this as no, like, you, you were, you're, you're a managing partner at a development firm. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I, I did some stuff. Like I got a call from some, from a guy who worked for a guy who worked for the president of the United States. And he was like, Hey, our department doesn't know shit about technology. Exact quote. Can you come help us? You know, like, so I had some purchase and like trying to help people figure out their innovations and, um, like yeah, you got digital cred, my friend. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was shortly, thereafter that call like you know we had some like big wig meetings i did this big thing there was all the photo ops and then there was like maybe this group should come to washington and josh can you help us get this thing going and it led to nothing and that's fine i was like but it like i you know i was a little naive i was like i'm gonna answer the call and i'm gonna help the country figure out technology but it really was like shortly after that led to nothing that I, you know, threw my smartphone into a lake and I was like, I'm going to take a step back from all this. It was almost like, it was almost like I'd spent too much time behind a curtain. You know, it's like when, when you're an expert in something, like if you're an expert musician, which I'm not, if you're, if you're a filmmaker, like it's hard for you to sort of just consume that media. It's almost like, you know, too much. Like, you, you, yeah, like, you yeah. know, how, you know how the sausage is made. And like, that's kind of where I got, where I was like, I don't think the answer is more technology Mm -hmm. and like all aspects of society, like holding up tech as superheroes, as like these deities. And I'm just sort of like, these are tools when applied properly, but man, there's like a lot of worship and there's a lot of like personal branding even just wrapped up in this. And, uh, and that doesn't even speak to the fact that like uh, some shit that technology and, you know, social media companies, smartphone companies are doing like is straight up evil. Like it is evil. And, uh, and so, you know, like if you were, if you were a super villain and you wanted to try to succeed in evil, uh, well, geez, you know, what if, like, I think about what was that? Like, uh, Batman and Robin where Jim Carrey is the Joker and he's got like the, he sends out like a wave that like hits everyone in their head or whatever. This is like the, the, the yeah, 90s a, Batman, uh, the uh, Schumacher, the guy just yeah yeah died today, right? Oh yes. shit, I don't know. Yeah, he just passed away. But like the like I don't, I, it's been a long time, right? The but real, the real goofy, the real goofy, Batman. the goofy one, yeah. And and it was like a thing that was like on your head, or it was based. They were they were there was a send up of TV, right? They were saying like TV is like brainwashing you, like that was the uh, that was the an- analogy. But I'm like, that that's what's in everyone's pocket, right? Like for a long time, like I, like I was trying to write a book to be like, hey, like I've been, I've been like I was, you know, over enemy lines, and like I was like I was the consultant, you know, like I was like helping people succeed in evil, and I was just sort of like, I like technology, like I still think it's interesting, and I'm just like, but it's gone wrong. It's gone wrong in a lot of ways. Um. So I have this, I have this thing, and I'm, I'm working on it now so there's this character that i threw out in the first book and he was a guy and it's he's essentially elon musk and was then his really successful tech guy and all of a sudden he just comes unmoored from his uh whatever and decides that he wants to live forever this this sounds this will happen like i came up with this this will happen so he has his brain uh, taken out of his body and put in a multifunction pod. His name's Brainatar. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the first time I wrote this, like, because I wrote it as podcast episodes, then I wrote it as a novel, and it was sort of an episode yeah. in this book, and it wasn't like, but we're going back and really trying to say, all right, how screwed up do you really have to be? And what's the consequences? So in the original story, and I never got past the gag, really, although it's a good gag, which is, you know, I, the guy had his brain put in a pod, but he didn't have it anchored. So he's just constantly giving himself small concussions as he moved <laughs> around the world and went totally insane. <laughs> well, what's like the, the thing that's biting about that is that like, like the, the, the worship of technology and the belief that we can live forever through technology 
is on the opposite side of the color spectrum as just like a grounding in nature that like as our civilization, we've been moving further and further away from. Well, there's, the, there's an arrogance in it really that suggests that you can do that without consequence, right? Mm-hmm. That you, that you, you know enough to like, it's, it's uh, for me, it's something like, um, well, it pops up all the time in economics and social engineering, people who are willfully ignorant of the law of unintended consequences, but, uh, but like breastfeeding, right? When, when I was born, it was like, well, you shouldn't best breastfeed. That's, that's, that's not good for you. You should give your baby's formula. And then all the research and everything, the way the immune system is transferred, all of the benefits of this really complex natural system that's evolved over hundreds of thousands, if not you know, millions of years. Like, you're not smarter than that. There's no way you're smarter than that. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, uh, probably not with breastfeeding. That is, that is, not, that's not my territory. Um. No, there's, there's, there's all this, there's all this, there's yeah. all these things, and all the such a better outcome. And then in in like the seventies, everybody's like, oh, we were f- we can totally re-engineer babies' nutrition and make them better and stronger, and it totally failed. Well, I say like I'll give you a different example, which is it has to result. And now this is like oh, okay, this motherfucker's on a soapbox. Um, or, <laughs> but like it, it, like think about like where our food comes from, like most basic you know life giving thing on Earth. And um, you know there there is starting to be a movement with like like farmers, like industrial farming, large scale farmers, like thinking about like huh, maybe the soil should be alive. Like right now it is like soil on a farm. It's a dead growing medium, right? It's like, it's like the rocks at the bottom of your, your dead beta fish, like sitting on, on, uh, you know, it's it's just a, it's just a matrix to hold the nutrients they're going to put on it. That's exactly right. So they, you know, they, they pump in fertilizer, they pump in the ammonia. There's nothing going on there, which is like, but what you need is like soil that's alive. You have to feed the soil that, you know, to, to feed yourself. But like with tech, right? It's like, and, and then you see like some like, uh, like unparodyable like overlap with the development of, you know, soylent and like neutrinos and all these like people that they just. Yeah, know, it's, it's, it's self satire. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, it's just like I am, I am living unplugged in here. Like I don't even need, I don't even need any sort of natural process outside of myself. So, so what Brainatar, like, yeah. is, it's, it's, it's not that far. It's not that far of a send up between how a lot. And then, again, not even touching on sort of smartphone addiction. There's a great documentary that just came out. Um, we rented it, you know, and it's called uh, screened out and uh, it's very empathetic view about how like, Hey, if you're addicted to your phone, it's not your fault. It's like these, these, all the, all of the bottomless apps, the apps that you can, that, you know, whether it's an app or a game that has no point. Like this is the, the easy way to tell. Like if you're using software on your phone that does not have an end, the yep. goal is simply to just addict you to it. So you're constantly at the mm-hmm. slot machine. Like if, if yeah. you cannot get to the bottom of a scroll, like the point is to be Jim Carrey's brainwave and to just suck you in. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's legit evil. Like we have, we are amongst evil, Patrick. Yeah, and then and then the the thing that always that always tips me off whenever I see those things is, and I don't know why I'm inured to them, but um, I don't know for for some I'm uh, I'm odd. Some for some reason I seek I seek meaning in things, um, but the variable reward, you know, that becomes very addictive. I know I'm going to do this. What reward am I going to get out of this? I get one little coin. Oh, I got fifty coins that time. Oh, I get twelve coins. Oh, I got 55 coins. That variable reward system, that really, that, that's just a, it's a dopamine trap. It is. I mean, like people become addicted to gambling. That's exactly what it is. Well, and the thing about the, the smartphone addiction is that like, it is a chemical dependence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I sort of, you know, again, this is me like in my little corner of the world, like still, still obviously working in tech, still doing consulting, you know, I'm building a software product right now. It's, you know, business, business stuff, but you know, and I don't have a smartphone. I've been, I went back to a flip phone almost five years ago now. And I just, I couldn't have the anxiety machine in my pocket, but like, I like, you know, standing from this viewpoint, which I know is the rogue viewpoint. I get it. Like, I wish that we talked about smartphone addiction, like a chemical dependence. I, I wish that it was, 
considered a public health crisis amongst other, you know, public health crises that may or may not be going on right now. But like that, that's the one that bothers me the most is I just, you, you don't have to say it's the biggest problem we're facing. You could just be like, Hey, this is, this is a problem. Look at this. Cause if you, um, <clears throat> the other thing that I'm really cognizant about as I get older too, is, um, is posture my body working oh. right that I can stand up and you just see. So there's infirmity in young kids. Like they're, they're seeing symptoms of infirmity in 20 year olds where the doctors who treat infirmity would treat 70 year olds. Yes. If somebody did something with their body until they were like 30 and then they didn't do anything for 40 years. Now they can't, you know, get up off the floor, get out of a chair, get, you know, but there are, you can see people. I mean, I don't, we don't really go to the malls anymore, but I would go to malls and I would go to, um, you know, conventions like, like Dragon Con, go to Dragon Con, big geek convention in Atlanta. I love it. Like it was, it was a great time, met a lot of great folks, but then you would see a lot of people who were walking around and it's not that they weren't conventionally attractive and it's not that they weren't of a, you know, model weight or anything. No, they were walking like they were afraid they were going to fall down on a flat surface. Mm-hmm. And that's very bad for the brain. I mean, that's yeah. measurably bad for the brain, not getting exercise, not, not being able to be comfortable in your environment and move. And it's one of the... I guess that's part of where brain attire comes from too. Like just the joy of, of moving and anything you do for your body. It doesn't, mm-hmm. you don't have to be some CrossFit, you know, self-flagellant, no. you know, you don't have to destroy yourself, <laughs> but walking regularly, moving, like one of my favorite things to do. And I think it's great exercise is digging, right? Mm-hmm. If you oh dig, yeah. It's such good exercise. Um, and you know, people just don't, they don't use their body anymore. So they become detached from it. And that's your, that's your real conduit to the natural world. Yeah. As, as if that, as if that, that somehow is like, again, a a life, you know, if if we can just, if we're all just sort of electrical impulses, that's what the matrix taught us wrong lesson from the matrix, but, 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 you know, just hook me up to the computer. That's all I need. Hundreds of thousands of years of evolution mean that when you take a walk among trees, a whole bunch of neurons in your brain fire and you feel safer. Because we mm-hmm. literally evolved in trees. Like you have reactions to that. They've measured this. Good psychological studies, ones that'll replicate, not not those crazy ones that never seem to replicate. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and, and to me, like that's like, again, a little bit on my soapbox, but I, it feels like I've got, I say over and over again, I'm like, we're living in the dystopia right now. And, and I realize like I'm, I'm trying to do good tech. Like it's, it's like, it's empathetic. I know this is not the spot to talk about it, but like, I, like I have taken all this in and I, I like, I am trying to put it into practice. Right. Like I'm trying to be a reformed, like evil consultant. Right. Try to be like, well, and, and I, and I talk a lot in my business. I talk a lot about empathy. How do we add empathy back into this process? Uh, but like, I forgot where I was going. Shit. Oh, no. I'll tell you exactly. I'll tell you. You said dystopia. You said the greatest thing. um, As I was trying to get that killer word content framed up, and I had had a bunch of great, like really great content. I had an outline for a book and whatever. And you said, you must bend the knee to the gods of algorithm. Yeah. I'm sorry. And this is the phrase. I'm sorry. It's a dull dystopia we're living in. That's just (laughs) the way it is. And I was like, oh, it is a dull dystopia. I mean, it's not so much a boot stamping on the face of humanity forever. It's just, I don't know. It's like a, it's just like, it's, it's just a bored teenager. It's just, so it's like, I'm going to find an analogy for that dull dystopia rang a bell with me, man. That's a great phrase. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, it's not the flying cars. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not like judge dread, like, you know, shooting people in the face on his motorcycle, although kinda, <laughs> it's, well, it's getting a little hairy. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's this like everyday sort of like creepy surveillance kind of grind and, and suck. And like one of the evil things about this dull dystopia is that the, the tangible thing that it's done is that it's changed the way that we behave. To, together, like interpersonally, like in groups, uh, the, the fact that we're all sort of grooming ourselves for 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 some sort of points or perceived uh, uh, sort of cachet, and um, and none of us none of us consented to this, right? And and it it, it is for like an extreme profit motive. It it has been of uh, like very deliberate, and uh, we didn't have a choice in it. That's just the way things are now. Well, it's, it's, it's technology, you know, sort of tapping into the older uh, systems of the way, 
you know, we evolved as social creatures and the way our nervous systems evolved. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, um, well, I'll give you an example. And this, this drives me, this, this freaked me out when I saw it. This was, this was a while ago too. Um, I was on a flight. It was a flight across the country, like a good long flight. And I'm sitting there and I'm reading a book. Uh, and there's this kid a few rows up. And literally for three hours, all that kid do all that kid did was take selfies of himself. And then he'd edit it and he'd move his hair a little bit or he'd move his hat and change the angle and he'd take another picture of himself. Oof. It was total narcissus, right? Like I, I just it it blew my mind. And then so he's doing that thing and, and I watch it and I started to get upset like about it. And then part of me is like, you know, what is he? He's 14, he's 16, whatever. Like he's a kid. I did stupid things as a kid. I just did different stupid things. And then I look up and another hour has gone by and he's still doing it. And then I become obsessed with it again. I'm like, you have to stop staring. You're on an airplane. Like, this is really yeah. weird. <laughs> Go back to your book. And I just, I had, a, I, I've never forgotten that moment because like that is totally, I don't know. That's just, it really bothered me. I, I like you, you're what you're describing. Like it gives me anxiety. It's like you're watching and you're all like, no, I, I need, I got to stare at the sun right here, man. Cause you're like, ostensibly, this is a member of my species. Monkey see monkey do. Where did this person learn this behavior? What, what are they doing? And I think so much of having a life and maybe, I mean, like I had to learn how to do this and not, not give a shit so much what people thought about me, but so much of having a life is pushing back against that exact moment. So you can have some space to have an interior life, have a thought, you know, yeah, just, yeah, it was, and it's not like, I don't, and I also don't want to, I want to have a great deal of empathy. Like I'm not blaming him exactly. For sure. I'm just like, that's, that's terrible. That's like, well, I mean, the the Greeks had Narcissus, but um, you know, it's like, it's like those, 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 Greek punishments in hell. You know, he's constantly rolling the rock and he's never going to look good enough. He's, he's constantly lowering to drink the water and he's never going to get the water. I'm like, there's something bad here, man. Well, and, and this is classic, like, uh, you know, like ends not with a bang, but a whimper. Like you and I are of the, the, the last, you know, kind of the last generation that remembers life before the internet. Right. It was like, we like we saw it come up, and then then there was MapQuest, and it was like, ah, this is use, this is very useful. And then there were smartphones, and then I remember and then the first there's addiction. I remember the first time you could play a game across the internet with a thing called Kali. You could play a TCP/IP game across the internet. Amazing, right? Yeah, and, this was and, really cool. And so, yeah, like I like I remember building my first computer, being like, this is incredible. And and so like we but we remember that like this is like three years ago now. But I was with a colleague, same age, and. Uh, we were in Los Angeles and um, super intelligent person, well-read, well-traveled, um, thoughtful, great programmer. And uh, we, were, we were in LA and we were going from our hotel to we were, you know, meeting the client uh, at like at a restaurant. He was driving the rental car. We were talking, we get to the restaurant and then he and the colleague or he and the, the client, they were going to go watch soccer or something weird. And uh, I was like, well, I'm going to take the car back to the hotel. And it was like, it was somewhere around 10 miles away. And he was like, but you don't have a smartphone. How are you going to get back? And I was like, well, we, I don't know. We went like 10 miles east, like the hotels west of here. I was like, yeah. you know, west and south. I was like, it's, what do you mean? And I was like, it's, it's a grid. It's Los Angeles. It's not complicated. Yeah. And I was like, like, I, the, like he was incredulous. That like I was going to get lost and that I was even going to like the client was going to. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? I was like, well, like, don't you remember life before like GPS? Tell like, didn't you build a mental map of a city? Like when you went to the first time and I'm just like, this is a smart person. This is a very smart person. Like, but he is closer to what's his name? Brainiac? Brainer man? Yeah, Brainatar. He's like, like he's already closer to Brainatar than then he is to the the people that we were before the technology. Yeah. And it's just and, sort of like, in, in some sense, what have we like lost? You want to give things up. Um, you you want to give certain remembering certain things up so you can focus your brain on, you know, what you want to, what you want to really be good at. But I, I lived in Los Angeles in 
99 to like 2001, a couple of years out there. And that was back before there were smartphones. So everybody had this thing called the Thomas Guide. Yeah. Shit You Not was a book that was about two inches thick that had map references like that you could use for all of Los Angeles, which is big and it does get complicated a little bit because if you have to traverse Los Angeles, all the roads go like northeast, southeast. Yeah. Wait. North, sorry, sorry, northeast, southwest, and then they run uh, east, west. Yeah. So it takes this giant bend. Uh huh. And like you know, for someone who's from a from a saner, smaller place, you know, you're like, I gotta go over there, and it's just like you can't get there this time of day. Yeah. Like it was. It was really. It was really a. It's a huge problem. But um, but think about, think about, uh, like it used to be of a value to really know a city to get around because you knew yes. the shortcuts. Now Waze or Google Maps is going to tell you the fastest way to get there. Well, and, and again, like this is how – like all of this has happened so fast, right? And it's like – it's not like – this isn't like a Philistine or, or even like, a, uh, you, know, you know, just like a wish for the good old days. But it, again, it's sort of like what, what, are we, what are we losing? Like things are moving so fast and like what have we lost as, as, as people? You know, like, are we all brain atars now, Patrick? And so think about the wire. Like, the wire is still, like, a cultural capstone. People revere the wire. The, like, in, I think it's in season five of the wire. So this is getting on now. This yeah. is over, over 10 years ago. But like, I think it was in season five, those map, those map books that you're talking about, that was a main plot point. That was how Marlowe and his crew got around. Yeah. Is they used the grid system and they took, and they sent each other pictures and it was like A12 or whatever. And that, and that was the code. But like, if, like, there's so many people that watch that today, what the fuck is that book they're using? I've never seen right. that before. What is that? Well, it does, it does, uh, especially as a writer. And I think about fiction, like I'm wrestling with it a little bit. Like, I don't think, I don't think I want to write in the present. You know what I mean? Because you've got so many, so many things that'll trip you up and okay. What did somebody say? Like, I'm just really not interested in what someone's in drama for, especially for drama, what someone's response on Twitter is for like, sure. Drama is interpersonal. But that's such a part of our lives now that I'm like, oh, am I going to write in the 70s? Am I going to write in the 1870s? You know, thinking about that or, you know, or sci-fi where you can't have that kind of thing. You don't have that, you know, connection. Um, but well, well, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a dull dystopia to write about. Yeah, dude. And, and, and uh, like, if you were going to do it accurately, you would have people spending 80% of their waking hours in front of a glowing box, which is like, that's like, the the like running into someone on the street you know like or even just being aware of your surroundings like it, it wouldn't happen and that like that's a that's got to be a hard thing to write about i and so like if like if you were doing a tv show like uh, my wife and i have been joking like so are they like is, are people going to be wearing masks on tv shows set in the present soon like is that going to be a thing or we're just going to avoid that but like if it was real, like everybody in the coffee shop would have their neck bent down 90 degrees. They need to go yes. see the doctor that you're talking about. And it's sort of like, man, like maybe if we saw more of that, we would have a revulsion to it. Like if, if at this time when we're supposed to step, like let's step <laughs> back and everyone just for a moment, take a look at the picture we're painting. Like, do you, do you consent to this? That's not how we work. Unfortunately. Is, it, is this what you want? Like take, take an honest, like a really good, honest look at, at, um, and for me, well, right now, because also social media is in a wash of people who who are certain they know, A, what the problem is, B, how to solve it, and C, what everybody else should do to solve it, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, it's very it's very useful to go, okay, I see this problem. And it's like what you did. You're like, this is a problem. I'm not using a cell phone, right? Yeah. So many people virtue signal about using a cell phone, but they still have their cell phone. Mm -hmm. Or like screen time is awful for kids, but they're like but I'm going to give this kid this device because I just don't want a parent right now. Yeah. It's the best babysitter. And like everybody needs a break. And I'm not saying that yeah. like, you have to have fluency with devices and stuff like that. And they do spend time on an iPad and my son plays video games and everything, but they do a lot of other things too. It's yeah. not just, um, and part of my benchmark for that is how is their uh, social interaction with uh, other kids and especially adults, because that's just so important. Anywho, um, well, I, well, I was driving to a point there. Uh, oh, yeah, to, to look at yourself and be like, okay, what can I do to fix this problem right now? Okay, mm -hmm. well, you, you're not doing anything very interesting, but coming home and looking at your screen, well, what can I do interesting right now with the kids to go do something? 
Yeah. And, th- and there are like, there are the basic pushbacks where the screen timers, sometimes it's like, you know, it's, it's a, a set number of hours or it's just like, there's, it's a night when, you know, it's like a night that we're screen free or it's a screen free dinner. It's a screen free, you know, evening or even like, Hey, this room, like no electronic devices in here. I mean, like, I definitely know that I'm the outlier, you know, like, uh, you know, I've got a son in junior high, you know, no phone, no Facebook, no Twitter. Yeah, keep- tell us, tell a story about the teaching with the, uh, had and your experience with that so um this it came out of the blue it's like he goes into seventh grade and then it was like oh the they're sending an ipad home and it was just like oh that's that's how we're doing things now and so like me like you know like i immediately like to the school district to the to the principals and i'm like you know i see the thing he brings it home and i'm like well what are we hoping the outcome of this is it was yeah. like, and then, and then I asked the, like the taboo question, which is like, what evidence, what demonstrative evidence do we have that this device will produce better learning outcomes? Right. And then this is sort of like, and I live in a rural area, right? And, and, but this is sort of like, mister, you're not joining the program with the rest of us. And it's just sort of like, I'm fucking freaked out by that. Like, I don't, I don't like that. It's just sort of like these exist and there's a, there's a, evil ass consultant who got this major contract because this is a thing that we need to have. And there's just like a big push. You will consume this. And then we have it. And then life changes. And there was really no discussion. And well, and, and there's no, there's also, you asked the very logical question and nobody had an answer for the most logical question. Yeah. And And no, and no desire to engage with it. All of education is like that. Nobody wants to answer any logical questions about it. Like, no. uh, and I think I told you the, the crap they tried to pull on, pull on my kid. Um, he's in first grade and they're, they're, he's having trouble sitting still in the reading timers or whatever. So they bring in school psychologists to do this thing and do an observation. And they say, well, listen, we want to put your kid on a, um, what a behavior modification plan. I don't know what it's called. Uh, <laughs> Give him drugs. Well, well, you know, didn't get to drugs, but it's, uh, so it's a plan where every day they write down everything you do wrong. And at the end of the day, they talk to you about it. <laughs> Very dull. And, and nice surveillance of, state. And one of my comments that I didn't use, which is, I tell you what, you can do this to my kid, but somebody has to do it to you. Every yeah. single thing you mess up, like not only do you mess it up once, but now somebody's going to talk to you about it. And then all the other kids, and there's lots of evidence that these things are terrible, but we didn't, we didn't go in like this. I asked a bunch of, bunch of questions and the, the, this is what got me, the school psychiatrist lady. Um, she goes, well, I observed him over a 15 minute period one day. And in that 15 <laughs> minute period here, I kept track of it. And I have this chart of how many times he, he veered off task. And I asked some more questions and, and then she said, well, the data shows, and mm-hmm. I said, no, the datum. She goes, what? I said, the datum. You I have. slang words for a living. I said, you have, yeah, and I have, and, and somewhere way back there, I have a degree in economics. You have one data point. You made one observation. And the question that nobody asked was, um, uh, I was like, had he read all the books? Was he bored? And everybody's like, I don't know. I was like, my money is on. He's bored because he loves to read. Mm-hmm. So, and we went through this whole thing and, and eventually it came out all right, but just the, the default machine. And they were all like, I'm not, there's no, there's no villain in that story. They were all trying to do the best thing. Yeah. But the default machinery of the school was just gonna, was just gonna do the wrong thing. <laughs> like it was set to do the wrong thing. And a parent who would look at that and go, whoa, that is data. It's one data point. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> and I, I asked the logical question and everybody got a blank. They got a blank look on their face. Like, how is that not a very logical question to ask? Well, and so, so like, that's a, that's a nice, you know, uh, a phrase there, like the default machinery, right? And so, uh, you know, in the dull dystopia, like we are, like we're recognizing more and more, like if, if you're in tune with it, that the default machinery to a lot of this um, it can be more insidious and and then then the supervillains that Marvel would like 
to feed us. Like, like there's this idea that like, well, a villain is embodied. It's a single individual or it's the most evil corporation. Right. And it's like a thing there, there's a physical address and like, you can stare it in the face. And only if we, if we had just one strong hero, we could punch him and then things would be fine. But in the dull, in the dull dystopia, you recognize that, that it's the default machinery that, that there is no embodiment. Like there, there is no one to really, protest there it's sort of impossible to write a letter and like even if you if you had laser beams for eyeballs who's your target in in a bureaucratized world yeah you don't have anybody to blame which i which i think if i was gonna if i was i don't know how i work this and how to succeed in evil but i i think that's one of the singular problems of our age like there are people giving advice there are people giving parenting advice or in charge of how schools work that don't have any kids yeah and you, if you don't have skin in the game, I really don't think that you should be allowed to participate in that conversation. I don't care what your credential is. You need the credential too, maybe. But if you don't have skin in the game, it's like uh, an idea that lots of people like, which is you're going to just, okay, you're a senator, you're a representative, and you're going to vote to send the country to war. Your kids are going to war. For sure. 100%. Your kids, yeah, right? your kids. Your kids. Yeah. And uh-huh. that, there's, there's, that's been... I think the something of an ethical principle all throughout history up until now. Um, and we would, we would, I think that maybe um, other civilizations or other times would laugh at somebody who is going to give some advice that they didn't, that wasn't going to hurt them if it went wrong. Yeah. And, and, and so much of like, quote unquote, what's wrong with the world, which is like almost to the point where it's like, it's, is it even worth analyzing and trying to come up with solutions? At least that's where I go. And I, I try to not be cynical about it, but like we're dealing with, and this is especially true. You fix, it, you fix it from the bottom up. You can't fix it from the top down. If you think about it from analyzing the situation from the top down, it becomes hopeless, but there's just so much trackable, stuff yeah. you can do better. And if you just keep doing it, everything around you will get a little bit better. And it's, it, it's a much more powerful way to think. And that's exactly sort of the the process that I went through and, you know, getting rid of my smartphone and, and like everything has become such an abstraction of an abstraction of an abstraction, which is where it's like, like the most evil thing that you can do is, is to, is to uh, obfuscate your intentions, uh, you know, with miasma, you know, with administrivia, you know, with like, like purposely creating, you know, Byzantine processes and, and like, you know, telling people good luck and sort of wading through it and figuring out, you know, where to point their finger or even like who's who's pulling the strings. And like, you know, very particular to this conversation, why are so many people in the globe chemically addicted to smartphones? How did it happen so quickly? And is there anything that we could do about it? It was just like, for me, it was just like that thing's going in the lake. I'm going to move into the woods. I'm going to grow some vegetables, put my hands in the dirt and just kind of sit with that for a little bit. Yeah. And which is not particularly useful except to me. Well, I mean, I would argue that, that, that thing that makes your life better and more meaningful has the highest utility. Like, so my, my definition of art is that which expands the experience of being alive. Yes. Cause you're not, you're not, um, you know, in a utilitarian sense, I could manage, I could, I could measure my life through dollars and it does make sense to look, look at that lens. Like, is this making me money? Is it costing me money or whatever? But the return I get on being alive is my experience. Like, yeah, it's not a good experience if it's not, if it's only in one dimension, like, you know, and I don't know, hopefully everybody who's going to listen to this thing has had the experience. I'm sure you've had the experience of you see a great play, you read a great book or you read a, you hear a great thing and you remember it. And later on, you know, or you, like I, I have this experience coming out of a great play, like everything just seems more alive and you're mm-hmm. just looking at like colors are brighter and everything's more meaningful and more depth. And, you know, that, that those things are really undercompensated for the amount that they make people's lives better. I, I would a hundred percent agree with that, man. It's like, like when you, when you see good art, when you respond to a good book, you know, a, a parody, a send up, yeah. a play, a movie, it's like, or, and I think a lot about like stand-up comedy and, and great stand-up comedy does it too. And it cuts through the abstraction, right? It's just like, it's, 
it's razor sharp. It goes right to the heart. And it's like, this is what's going on. And it, it, it can be done in a funny way, right? Like I, I know that, like, you know, how to succeed in evil. Like you're cutting, you're cutting through that, right? You're like, like if I'm this, <laughs> if like, if, if, you know, like superhero can super uh, or uh, super villain consultants, like it's really not that much of a stretch from what's going on now, but like, let's use humor and parody uh, uh, and exaggeration so can, to sort of cut through. Right. Yeah. And so, so you can handle a difficult subject without, um, right now, Dave Chappelle is doing like an amazing job of dealing with a very difficult subject, yes. with very light touch. Mm-hmm. It's it's masterful. Um, so humor allows you to deal with things that maybe are too painful to deal with any other way if you do it right. Well, and um, I, and I think too about sort of the origins of of art, right? Like now we're on our shit here, Patrick. But uh, <laughs> like one of the reasons that I I don't I don't like I don't like consuming media and, and again superhero like you know big blockbuster stuff like it falls into this like if it's if it's not pointed at a target like i know it's not for me like uh, let me pick on joe rogan for a second it's like you know well-known podcast but uh, like obviously it's comedy like he's he's got this thing where he's like the new york times where he's like uh he's got the view from nowhere he's just like i'm just a crazy guy asking weird questions not one way or the other takes no responsibility for like adding oxygen to something and the fact that you Mm -hmm. like just like the paper like if you give something oxygen even if you think that you're ragging on it the fact that you gave it oxygen amplifies the message right and like in in one of his recent specials uh i was watching he was just like I don't have an agenda. I'm just up here talking about weird shit that enters my head. And I'm like, that's fine. You're good at that. But it's got, there's no bite to it. There's no point. And I think like, you know, stand-up comedy in particular involved someone willing to get up in front of the king, talk shit to him to his face artfully and still keep his head. There's, and so I'm like, there's no comedy without criticism. That's right. That's you've got, absolutely. You, you've got you've got a critique of something if you're being funny. Yeah, and you and, and you got to willing to, be, to stick your neck out, right? Um, Quite literally. And I like. Um, I really get because I'm a pretty funny guy, and I get a lot of utility out of comedy that makes fun of a situation that's not a person. You mm-hmm. make fun of a or or you, or you diffuse a situation because you make fun of something that you did, right? Yeah. But um, that's not. At, at some point. You know, that just becomes a cop out, especially if you've, if you've got a, if you've got a target, if there's, if there's a target worth, worth going after, um, you know, it's to play it. It's, it's the, that's the, Ellen DeGeneres is very good at that kind of comedy. Yes. You know, it doesn't have, it, it, for me, it's sort of a postmodern thing. Like if I think about postmodern novelists, like reading Don DeLillo who I just didn't like, maybe I didn't get it. I mean, there are people who like him, whatever, but the thought that entered my head is if you write like this, like nothing really means anything. There's no stakes. You know, one truth is as good as another, which I think is not, is is empirically not the case. For sure. Um, But uh, what the hell are you going to do? Cause about the time I read it, my grandmother died and I had to write a eulogy for the funeral. And I'm like, okay, you got no tradition. Everything's meaningless. You know, that kind of, what the hell are you going to do when somebody asks you to get up to speak at somebody's funeral? Yeah. You're not going to have anything to, you're not going to have anything to add. You're not going to be able to bring any comfort. You're not going to be able to bring any heat. There's not enough substance to you as a, as a thinker or like, I don't know. And I may, I may be, I may be, uh, you know, impugning Don like Delilah, like maybe I'm wrong about, about him, but I'm not wrong about that strain of thought. Well, it doesn't nothing really means anything. Yeah. Bullshit. Well, it's, it's like, there is a, there's a documentary that was done by uh, uh, Jeff Bridges, uh, you know, the dude from uh, Big Lebowski. And he was with mm-hmm. uh, Tim- Timothy Morton, that kind of like existentialist guy that teaches in Houston. Um, and uh, I think it, it was called like uh, living in, you know, tomorrow's future, tomorrow's, you know, living in the past and tomorrow. I don't know what the fuck it's called. And the the major conclusion of the moment, it was just sort of like, the experience is just entropy and the plastic bag and the whale stomach that it's in, that it's killing are both made of stars. And so fuck it, man, just do the best you can. And it was just sort of like, that's a very odd way to go through life. I mean, like maybe, maybe like 
sure scientifically maybe but just sort of like i mean why breathe at that point well i mean this is a problem and this is why um you can't orient yourself in life without a goal without a hierarchy of meaning like that's how we and i think that a lot of people get really depressed because they don't have anything like you you i think i think i have this correct your brain will not even release release dopamine or not much if you don't it releases dopamine when you see yourself making progress towards a goal so if you don't have a big goal that you think is worthy that you're working towards and i'm not even saying the goals like the goal not saying what which goal is right or wrong but if you don't have something that you believe in right it's almost impossible for you to be happy yeah i i i firmly believe that so when you when you sit down to to write about you know succeeding in evil like What's the thing that, that keeps you going? Like, like what's the, you know, what's the humor behind it? I know this is like asking an artist to sort no, of like good. explain good your painting, but like, like, what do you, like, what, what kind of, how does this jazz you up when you're working through the process? Okay. So the, the first time that I wrote about this stuff, what it really was, and my, my theory, my theory of art is that somebody makes, you make something to deal with a pain in your life or to heal yourself somehow. Yeah. And great artists really work through that in front of everybody. And then there's the quality of the art, like you have to have craft, but the fact that they're working through a problem for themselves is one of the things that really makes it resonate and magical, like it makes it worth a damn. That's the way you're supposed to play the game. Yeah. So for me, the first problem was, is I was a consultant and I would give the best advice I knew how, and people wouldn't listen. And then I would see them <laughs> run into trouble. And when I, when I first did that, when I first, I was like, well, this is, this is, this is just about me. Nobody, obviously no one else has this experience. Everyone else gets more respect than I do. And, and the job is kind of a rare job because it was marketing, you know, at that point. Yeah. And what I quickly discovered is everybody has that experience. Someone giving directions, a waiter, a parent, a doctor, a, like everybody <laughs> is just like, I've done my best to help you and you've ignored me. Like, and now Why did upset. you ask? <laughs> yeah. And now I have to watch you just trip all over this. And I, you just ignored me like, um, which in having a tolerance for that, you know, there's a lot, a lot of that in parenting, I suppose. For sure. <laughs> you know, you, if you don't get off that thing, you're going to get hurt. Kabam. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. So, so that, that's what started it. And then, um, you know, I just really like, like line level, funny stuff. Uh, Terry Pratchett, Douglas Adams, you know, things, stuff that that's, that's funny on the, on the sentence and the paragraph level, as well yeah. as, you know, the setup level. I really like that, that kind of writing. And it was funny because I, I was reading an, an interview with Terry Pratchett about writing. So, you know, you know, who he is, you know, all the books he's written or. No, I am not as well read as you. Okay. So he's, he's was the number one best-selling author in the UK for a long, long time. And I actually started how to succeed in evil without really knowing about him. And then he, like, it was a bit daunting because, so what he does is he took the tropes of fantasy stories and he turned them, you know, turned them into satire. And then he turned them into, into satire and this just brilliantly elegant social commentary. Mm -hmm. So he wrote a book called Thud where the dwarves were Muslim. <laughs> they were this Muslim underclass in the strange world and how that became integrated into society. And that sounds really heavy, but it was yeah. absolutely hilarious. I mean, just <laughs> hilarious. So, um, and he's built this world, I mean, he passed away, but he built the world that, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 books, like, and all, all really good. But the first one he wrote was really funny. It was called The Color, Color of Magic. And it was a send up of this wizard who wasn't very good called Rincewind. And in the interview, he's like, yeah, that was great name. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, that was pretty funny. And then I discovered this thing called plotting. And I realized you need the plot as well, you know, to have the, the plot be integral to it. And I, cause yeah. he's, he's tremendously successful. He's like, he's like, yeah, I just totally messed up the plot in my first book. Um, so yeah. So when, so when, so when you're writing, like, like a lot of the consulting is like, it's from experience, right? <laughs> Even when you're like, listen, I have moral qualms about trying to help you be evil and sell more of whatever it is that you make that we don't need to end up in the oceans. However, like despite this, I'm going to swallow that because I got to eat too. If you listen to me, I will help you achieve your objectives 
in the, the with the least amount of friction as possible. The people can't get out of their own way, right? That's yeah, the that too. The and then, well, what what Edwin does? He's the consultant. He's kind of the um, he's an inscrutable genius character, like Sherlock Holmes, right? So you never really know what's going on, and he he comes up with these brilliant ideas. He's all about making people money. So there's a great there's a great bit from the first book, which is this guy comes in, he goes. Uh, he says, so tell me a little bit about your business plan. And the guy goes, world domination. And he says, that's really more of a goal than a plan. <laughs> I'll put down mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> and the guy has this whole scheme. And then at the very end of it, Edwin's like, well, well, how does that make any money? <laughs> and the guy's like, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's too true, right? <laughs> you know, when you talk through, talk somebody through, and you know, I've, I'm consult, consulting at a higher level now with companies and, you know, and people and really able to help them much better now. But that process of talking them through, like, well, I mean, we worked on, we worked on one together where I, I yep. want to have an, I want to go get venture capital. Well, what is your pitch going to be? What, how does this work? How, what's in it for them? Well, we just, we just need to get funded. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, like that's the, that's the whole thing. Like, that's actually, I should probably use that too as fodder. Um, <laughs> we just but, need it. But that's, that's very, that's very much that experience is very much the impetus, you know, like that guy. Wow, man. We really, I, I think we had it figured out. Uh huh. It would have been a better thing to try, but I mean, between the two of us, we, we had it, we had a better solution. Yeah. And just didn't want to hear it. Yeah, that, so that's that's really like you can understand because you you lived through that pain. That's uh -huh. it. That that that's the the consulting. You know, yeah, you know. and one of the things that I've I've found in, in my consulting is like, um, again, like I've I've sort of left this behind, and, I, and I, I'm lucky enough to sort of found a niche where it's like I do feel like I'm using tech to solve like a real problem in a, in an empathetic way, but um, in in a lot of the consulting I did like with like CEOs of like companies and brands that, you know, a listener might know one of the like weird parts of this dull dystopia is that uh, like ostensibly in this, you know, economy where the only thing that matters and how we measure the health of our nation is through GDP. Like I was working with CEOs who didn't want to spend a dollar and it was just sort of like, we're invested. We want, we'll pay you to come in and let's do the technology thing and talk to us about innovation and the minute you're like, well, you can write a check in one of these five areas. Here's the strategic way you should do that. Here's how you should weigh your options. And you're like, talk to us about check writing. And you're sort of like, what did you think I would come up with? You know, it's like, I, I don't know how. And they're like, hmm, that's not going to work for our business plan. It's like, I don't know what any of us are doing here right now. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll just sort of skate through this. Well, yeah, you know. We want to, we want dramatic change. You're gonna have to yeah. reallocate resources. Like, yeah, like I like imagine if if like one of your supervillains, like they were stuck on the like, what do you mean I have to rob a bank in order to hire a mercenary army? Like I don't like, I don't I don't want to have to spend money. I want them to be like mercenary slaves. You're like I, probably going to be a harder climb. Aren't aren't you supposed to? Well, I'll cut you in on a share of the profits once the yeah. mercenary army is successful. Think of the exposure the mercenary army could get. Oh. <laughs> this would be great for your portfolio. <laughs> that's that's really good. Um, and then and then you know you can send up all the uh, all the usual all the usual corporate stuff. Yeah. Um, like what? Like what? Like are the were the what did you think the stormtroopers were all unpaid interns or what? <laughs> Yeah. Well, listen, if you get our brand right, people will volunteer and we won't have to pay them. No, they oh, won't. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what drives it. And then you always have something that you're trying to work on. Like there's a game going on behind the game. I'd like to try and do this better this time around. Like character descriptions or yeah. I'd like to I'd like to have people have a sense of the place or the time without ever mentioning, you know, yeah, it was, it was midnight in 1973. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's very useful to do that so you can get on with the story and then just, I want to plot things. I just want to plot things tighter and better right now. I mean, just, just really make them, um, you know, things that really just pull you in because I think that's the only antidote right now with fiction um, is it's gotta be, 
profluent. Like you've got to, you've got to just fall into it and not be able to put it down. Yeah. Um, because that's and, the only way it competes against the phone in your pocket. Um, now, you know, the other so, thing I do is I narrate the stuff and people really like the way I narrate it. So that, that helps a little bit too, making an audio book. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. But that's, that's really kind of, that really helps me when I get stuck because that's really my medium. I think in audio. Yeah. Well, you've, you've, you've got the, you've got the vocal chops for it. You know, I honestly, I think everybody has the vocal chops for it. There's some acting experience I had. I think everybody's voice, if they, if they spend some time just learning how to relax, it might not sound like everybody, like I don't sound like the movie announcer, right? My voice works because I've, I've spent some time learning how to relax and speak from the chest as well as the head and the throat and, you know, just learning how to breathe like that stuff that no matter what's like, think about, um, who's that? Is it? Not Terry Gross, but uh, a lady on NPR who talks. Oh, like yeah, this. she she recently retired. Uh, and, <laughs> I forget what her name was. Um, yeah. Uh, this is uh, like her voice, and, and she has a like a degenerative voice condition. Yeah. Brilliant interviewer uh-huh. on most subjects, but like just brilliant, great career. Her voice is not like lots and lots of people listen to her and they're happy to do it. Like, so anybody who thinks that their voice is terrible, no, that's just an excuse. Right. Um, yeah. The, the whole, like, like I hate how I sound on my answering machine. It's just like, it's your voice. I, why can't I remember her name? Because that's really courage. You think you hate how, how you sound. She yeah. sound great and got a disease that wasn't her fault. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Well, man, we, that's, that's covering a lot of ground. Yeah, like uh, I, I think in your other podcast, you'd you'd edit didn't down. They were they were fairly short, right? They were seventeen, yeah. twenty eight minutes kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna edit it down and and put a little thing on the on the beginning talking about. I'll send it to you, but just a little intro on. So the idea is, I want to do a series of, because because one of the best ways to figure out something or make something better is just to talk to smart people about it. Yeah, interesting people. So this is more like um, I don't know if I told you. Like Johnny Carson would have people on the Johnny Carson show on ostensibly the best talk show of all time. Yeah. Successful, right? The tonight show. And a lot of those people, it was so refreshing because they didn't have anything to sell. They weren't pitching anything. They would stay on for the whole damn show. Yeah. Or like you see like on YouTube, the Graham Norton show. So if he has a bunch of interesting guests on, they all get their time to talk and they all hang around and talk to each other. Yeah. It's I just, just watched uh, George Carlin and Richard Pryor on the Tonight Show in 1981, and um, it was it was like it was also made for that age too, where it was like it wasn't it wasn't like rattling your brain with trying to like have a, a, a like every seven seconds there being a punchline, like it, like these are three funny people. But like the conversation was so natural and so different from what you see today where you got like a real conversation. crazy Jimmy Kimmel, you know, and he's just trying to be like, you know, just like calm down. And I hate it because, because you understand, you begin to understand why somebody would tune into the tonight show. Cause I don't know why anybody watches watches a late night show. Like I yeah. have no idea what, but back then it's like, okay, I'm up. I got my fifth yeah. bourbon and soda and smoking my cigarette and I don't have any cool people to hang out with, but this is like, I'm hanging out with these cool people at a party where people are talking, you know, where yeah. it's a good, like small gathering. So, talking like adults. And it's not, it's not meant to like, just be, uh, you know, just thrown out the next day. It is like it's when, not- when Don, like watch, go watch uh, anything with Don Rickles, man, anything with Don Rickles, but you watch like any of his old appearances. Like I'm even sure when he was on there, when Kelly's Heroes came out, whatever, he probably talked about Kelly's Heroes for 23 seconds, and the rest of it was just going to town on people and laughing, you know, rather than, oh, you know, it's been so great to work with this director and everybody's so talented and the theme and the, the, the show the yeah. clip and get off. Like, yeah, formulaic. Like I don't even know. Like why do you even have to have a person do that? So I had an idea. I used to do this this zombie impersonation. And I never really did it. Uh, maybe animate it. This might be a good idea to do. Which is can I take, see it? Um, Convincing. So to take a that standard talk show interview that everybody gives on the circuit, and 
replace all the interviewer questions with just hear the person talking and realize how useless the conversation is. Because <laughs> if you spliced them all together, it's the same damn, they're saying the same damn thing. Like, why do you even need a human being to be part of this process? It's not an, it's not a real conversation. There's one question that I wish I would have asked you. Unfortunately, I'm in time. I wanted to ask you about like the use of satire, like the, the fun part of it versus the biting part and like why satire, where satire is and isn't an effective vehicle for sort of like, you know, uh, cutting through some of that ab- abstraction. And just, I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. That's, that's a great question. I may just use that as the audio to tee up an answer to it. I may have to write an answer to that, but here's the problem. So many things are self-satirizing now. I, that's part of the dull dystopia, right? It's like you can't... Sat- satirize Trump. You can't. You it's can't. insane. Did you see the thing with the church? How the church said that they... there's Where he's holding his rally, this should not go in the podcast. But what, like, did you see the thing in Arizona? The Ari- Look this up, dude. My wife just told me this. The Arizona pastor of this church where he's holding this mega rally said, don't worry, it's safe to come to this church. We have ionizing like new technology we're the first church in the world to have safe, clean air where the COVID has been cleaned out of the air. It's just like this guy's holding a rump, a, a rally at a mega church where the pastor is saying, don't worry, we clean the air from COVID. And it's just like, cool. I think that has to go in. <laughs> oh yeah. But, but we're just supposed to take that in like, okay. Yeah. The, all of that's true. Sure. It's fine. I'm just going to, you know what? I don't even need the internet anymore. That's, that's almost where I'm getting. It's like, maybe my, maybe my, my flip phone is too much. It's so noisy. Like, yeah, it's so noisy. All right. Well, well, thanks for cutting through the noise, Patrick, with your <laughs> hilarity. Trying. Thanks. Thanks for the chat as always. And um, man, yeah, I really, I really dig the way your brain works, Josh. You too, Patrick, man. And I'd love to bullshit with you some more uh, with or without the recording. But although this was fun and I hope you do something good with it. I hope you got some nuggets.